You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Philippians chapter 21. Beginning with verse 21, we read, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose I wot not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you, all for the furtherance and joy of faith, that your rejoice may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you. Again, let's pray. Father, we come to thee now. Thankful for the opportunity to be in your house tonight, to hear the word of God. We ask that at this critical time that you lose the Holy Spirit, give him liberty in our hearts, to touch our hearts, to touch our minds, to touch our soul, to give us understanding, to transform us, make us into what you would have us to be. Father, I ask for power of the Holy Spirit to preach, for I have no power in myself. Father, I also ask that you hide me behind the cross of Christ, that I be not seen, because it's Jesus we want to honor tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. you may be seated. I always like to, add, uh, to start a message with a question. My question for you tonight is, are you content? I didn't ask if you're satisfied. I want to know, are you content? Because there's a great difference between being content and being satisfied. A good example of that is going to a Chinese restaurant, Chinese buffet, and, and just stuffing yourself. Until your belly's about to burst, your eyeballs are about to pop out of their sockets. As the Brazilians say, matofoma, you, you killed your hunger, well, actually annihilated it. You're satisfied, but you're not content because you know you're gonna, in 30 minutes you're gonna be hungry again, amen? You can have a problem, a big problem, find a solution to the problem. You're satisfied with the solution, but you're not content because, you know, sooner or later another problem is going to pop up and take its place. You see, in our lives, it's very easy to be satisfied, but it's very difficult to be content. And the Apostle Paul knew what it was to be content. In, in studying the life of Paul, one can learn of all the conflicts and sufferings he experienced in life. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty two through 23 gives us an account of some of the things he experienced. Verse 24 says, Of the Jews five times received I forty stripes, save one. That's 39 times. Now, for those of you who might be good at math, or for those of you who may not be good at math, Five times 39, that's 195 times he got whipped across the back. That's if it's a whip. Now, what about if it was a cat of nine tail? That's 1,755 lashes on his back. His back must have been just one solid scar. The Bible says, thrice was I beaten with rods. That's like a, a metal rod or a broomstick or whatever, you know, going up beating on his back. You know, 
there are places in the world like Indonesia that still uses caning as a form of punishment. Now, it doesn't break the skin, but it sure does leave a nice welt. We have a lady in my church in Brazil named Josefa. She has a high tolerance to stupidity. There's nothing else. You know, the way people act. And you don't mess with Joseph at her house. Well, you also don't say anything bad about me in front of her. She'll tear into you, but she's got a high tolerance. And her husband, who doesn't go to our church, brought a friend home, and he started ragging Joseph, just picking on her. And she warned him, don't go there. Leave me alone. Don't do it. You're pushing your life. She warned him, warned him. He kept on, and she grabbed a broom and wailed into him. <laughs> ran him out of the house. After he, she ran him out of the house, he made a beeline down to the local police station in our little area to denounce her. And he said, you got a crazy woman in this town. She beat me with a broom. Uh, and I really didn't do anything, you know. And so they said, well, you know, these three police officers, they were serious about this. Well, well, who was it? Josepha. All right. What'd you do? <laughs> they know Josepha. They know she is very tolerant. The Bible says that once was I stoned. Now, that's not being stoned with liquor or drugs. That's being stoned with rocks. He was stoned to death, left for dead. The Bible says thrice, or three times was I shipwrecked, once passing a day and night in the water until he was finally rescued, and yet with all these types of sufferings, he didn't quit, he didn't complain, but he remained contented throughout the suffering. Now, is this to say that Paul asked for or desired these terrible things to happen to him? Was he a glutton for punishment, as someone put it? Of course not. He was just merely content of the fact that he was counted worthy to suffer these things for the cause of Christ. So many times he found himself in prison. But he never complained or said, oh, woe is me, I don't deserve this. He always considered being in prison an opportunity. Can you imagine that? An opportunity to be in a place full of people who truly had a need for Jesus Christ in their lives. And Paul considered such an opportunity to share Jesus with them a great privilege. Paul was content that God had placed him in the locale in a position to be used of God to win souls for Christ and transform their lives. I had a similar professor that says when Paul went to a new town to start a church, he didn't go look for a boarding house or a place to stay. He went down to the jail first to reserve a cell because he knew sooner or later he was going to wind up in there. Acts chapter 16 was one such incident. But going back to Acts chapter 15, we know that Paul and Silas were planning to go to Asia Minor. But in a dream, God sent a vision to him of a man from Macedonia saying, come over and help us. Thus, instead of going to Asia Minor, they went to Philippi of Macedonia. There they met a lady named Lydia, won her to the Lord. She opened her home to, to start a church. And 
Paul and Silas from there would go out and witness to people on a day-to-day basis to win souls. And one day they were out there and a young teenage girl, I say teenage because the Bible uses the word damsel, who had a demonic spirit in her, a spirit of divination. She could tell fortune. And I just picture she had these two big, burly, football-sized players that were handling her. You see, she was their cash cow. That's how they were getting rich off of her ability. And when she saw Paul and Silas, she belted out, these men are the servants of the Most High God which show unto us the way of salvation. Once or twice was okay, but after a while this got old of Paul. So the next time he saw her coming, and before she could answer, open her mouth and say this, he pointed his hand at her, I believe, and said, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And that demon left, along with the ability to tell fortunes in the future. These two men saw their chance of keeping rich flying away. So they made it down to the magistrate and told them what happened. I imagine they embellished it a bit because they arrested Paul and Silas and beat him one of these times, threw him in jail. And that night, Late in the evening, I can just picture Paul inside us trying to lean up against that wall, an adobe wall, dirt, dirt floor, no bench like the jails he got today. But they were praising God, counting it themselves worthy to be, to be beaten for the cause of Christ. The other prisoners there, I'm sure they were awake because this is Paul and Silas were singing praises. Now, they were awake for one of two reasons. They enjoyed the singer. Paul and Silas couldn't carry a tune and they couldn't sleep with the way they were singing. I believe we serve a great God. The Bible says that there was an earthquake that shook the foundations of the jail and caused all the cell doors to open. But if you look at historical records, Philippi doesn't record any earthquake in that time frame. Now, God sets up where he's going to have an earthquake, according to his will. He could put one just dead center underneath and not affect any other house. But I just kind of figured he'd just put his hand on top of that gel and shook it a bit. Yeah. Just shook him up a bit because it, it woke up the jailer. He saw the cell doors open, and he was ready to commit suicide and kill himself because he knew Roman law stated that one prisoner had escaped. Even if he was only in there for jaywalking, the jailer would pay with his own life in a slow, painful, torturous way. But Paul called out to him, do thyself no harm, we're all here. And I'm sure that Paul and Seth had already been there a period of time preaching, and he'd probably heard him on the street or maybe listened to him while being taken to jail because he came to the, that cell where Paul and Silas were and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Yeah. And Paul said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, yeah. thou shalt be saved in thy house. 
Paul and Saul, I don't think, were satisfied about the beating they got, but they were content for more than just the fact that that jailer got saved or his family got saved. A lot of times we think just about those two, those, those salvations, but we're forgetting about that teenage girl who was delivered from a demon. We don't remember that, which started the whole thing. We don't think about that, but Paul knew about that. He was content about that, but he was also content beyond that point because of the transformation that would take place in that jailer and his family would cause other people that knew them to get saved also. So many times we focus on the here and now that we don't see what God has in store beyond the outreach of that point. And Paul was looking at that, and he was extremely content. Now, in truth, what does it mean to be content? To be content is to be satisfied with what you have, with where you are, and with who you are. It is the absence of of the desire to have what others have that you don't have. Anybody remember back in the 1980s, the Volkswagen pickup? My dad had one. I remember we were driving down the street in Wichita one day, and he pulled up to a stoplight. Right next to him pulled up a Dodge Ram pickup. Brand new, four-wheel drive, you know, up on those high stilts or whatever. He looked at that pickup, and then he looked at me and he says, Son, I wish I had that pickup and that driver had a feather in his nose and we'd both be tickled. <laughs> now, that's not exactly being content with what you have. Being content is the absolute desire to be at the place which others consider to be better than or superior to yours. The biggest problem with people today, and that includes many Christians, is that they are not content, much less satisfied with what they have or with what God has already given them. They must always have more than they presently have or at least equal to what their neighbors or relatives have, so they buy things they don't need with with a credit card, with money they don't have to impress people that more than likely they don't even like. And all they manage to do is keep up with their neighbor's debt. And when you're under that sitting at that, you're not satisfied. You're not even happy. You're worried, how am I going to pay for this now? Well, many struggle to move to a different neighborhood and still with no guarantee that doing so will make them content. Nor trying to be someone else than who you presently are will make you content. You know, I always hear people say, oh, I wish I could be like Fulano. Now, Fulano is the Brazilian way of saying so-and-so. If I could just be like so-and-so. How do you know so-and-so doesn't want to be just like you? Yeah, right. Think about it a minute. And when you desire to be someone that other than who you are, that is the greatest form of arrogancy towards God that you can demonstrate because you're essentially saying to God, he didn't know what he was doing when he made you. You ever hear someone say that when God made that person, he broke the mold? Let me tell you something. When God made each and every one of you, 
include myself. God broke the mold. In my case, thank God it broke the mold. I can't imagine another guy just like me. <laughs> but he broke the mold. He made you to be you. That's why he made you the way he made you. A lot of young preachers don't have the success they think they should have. They ask God, God, why don't I have any success? Well, I don't know who you are. I called you not your imitation of some other preacher. Amen. Be true to who God made you to be. Because you're not going to be satisfied or content until you are that way. Paul had declared that in every situation that he'd learned to be content. In Philippians 4.11, not that I speak in respect of one, for I've learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. And there are those that take this passage in Philippians 1, 21 through 26, which we read earlier to say that, that Paul was not content, but actually in conflict, and nothing could be further from the truth. He said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And while alive, Paul has seen that he can serve Christ continue to do what he'd already been doing for so long for the cause of Christ, but to die is to lose nothing but his great gain since he would be in the presence of his Lord Jesus Christ of whom he'd been serving for so long. For Paul, it was a win-win situation. Here, physically present, he had the presence of the Holy Spirit abiding, inhabiting within him. Whereas to be dead, he'd be in his presence face to face with Jesus Christ. You're a winner no matter what. A win-win situation. And in truth, Paul did have a desire to die and be with Christ in his presence. But still at the same time, because of the love he had for the people needing God, he judged it necessary to remain alive in the flesh so as to continue preaching the word of God, to continue winning souls, and to continue being a voice and a vessel in the hand of God among the people, teach the ones he won to Christ, training them to do what he'd been doing for, among them for so long. Remaining in the flesh, which was more needful for then. Now, what about this moment going forward? You see, all this took place during Paul's second missionary journey, and Paul would make one more missionary journey. Paul would be arrested and thrown in jail some more times. In fact, it was seven years later that Paul was in jail again and wrote another epistle. And Paul would also make one more trip after that, but this time to Rome where he would get his desire. He was put to death so he could be in the presence of his Lord. Now, Paul had a ministry full of conflicts, trials, oppositions, and, and, and difficulties. He was falsely accused on many occasions. How many of us can say, well, hey, that pattern is my life? He was whipped without being rightfully condemned, which was against the law to have the world and citizen of which Paul was. And while others quit, Paul remained faithful and true to our Lord content with what God had given him because he knew it was God protecting and providing for him. And still during the times that we would consider really bad, Paul wrote with full assurance Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And truthfully, the only person who truly knows contentment could write this. 
And for that reason, Paul declared in 1 Timothy 6, 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Anybody here know anyone that's rich? Are they content? Usually not. They always want more. More possessions. The latest technological device, the latest cell phone, the, the latest television, the latest whatever, the latest smart house. My wife and I got to stay in a smart house up in Washington. Made my iPhone look dumb, and you can imagine what it made me feel like. <laughs> but they want this. But they're not content with these things because they're always worried about someone stealing these things from them. Oh, we learn to be content with who we are and what we have, what difference that makes. So let me ask you, what about you? Have you learned to be content? Or are you only satisfied with being satisfied now and again? Paul knew that the secret to be content is to be in the will of God. So are you in the will of God for your life? Or are you in rebellion with what, come, with, with what God wants you to be? And where he wants you to be? True contentment comes from not only knowing, but also being where God wants you to be, being what God made you to be, doing what it is that God wants you to do, and doing it where God wants it to be done. You won't find contentment until you arrive at this point in your life. I'm reminded of the prophet Elijah. When God instruct him to go to the brook Cherith and hide himself there. God had promised Elijah that he, would, that he would be fed by the raven's bread and flesh twice a day. Now, being a ventriloquist, I've got a vivid imagination. I can just visualize these ravens. The raven's just an oversized Texas crow. I can visualize these ravens circling overhead like vultures. Looking down below at a lady, she's out there baking bread in her outdoor oven, and she sticks in her stick to her, or her wooden spatula to bring out a loaf, and she swings it around, places it on a table as such to cool, and she reaches around to get another one, and while she, her back is turned, a raven swoops down and grabs, grabs that loaf of hot bread. I can visualize a couple other ravens in another place. Look down at a guy barbecuing meat, just grilling it. When he turns around to get his barbecue, well, they didn't have any barbecue sauce back there, but whatever he put it on it, that raven would swoop down and grab it. Nothing but the best for God's profit. Twice a day. But you notice something? What if Elijah wasn't there at the brook Cherith at the point at the brook Cherith God told him to go? What if I thought, well, hey, up here a ways or down river, there's a nice cave I can sleep in outside of the elements. Plus the sand here is not as rock as down there. My back is hurting on that, on those rocks. Elijah would have gone hungry. 
Because those crows weren't going to where Elijah was, but was going where he was supposed to be. There are Christians today, their souls are famished, starving, because they are not where they are supposed to be in their spiritual life or in church attendance. Each week, God gives your pastor a banquet to place before you so your soul can be fed. But many times, people come to church with their heart unprepared and go home hungry because their heart is not spiritually where it needs to be. They're not where they're supposed to be spiritually. Some say, well, I can't make it on Wednesday night. I can't make it in time for, for, for Sunday school, so I'll just come to church. Man, you miss a lot in Sunday school. Right. You ever show up for a banquet late? Well, you, you got stuck in traffic. You couldn't get there on time, and the appetizers are all gone. Half the main course is gone. The only thing still there is most of the dessert. Hey, it's better than nothing. That's the sweet part. Get here when you can get here. At least a little is better than nothing. Your soul's not going to bed hungry necessarily. So let me ask you one more time. Who are you spiritually? Years ago, I met a guy named Johnny Flanagan. Tremendous songwriter. He's written some songs that are humorous, like One More Night with the Frogs, about Pharaoh. How to boil a frog. How Satan will turn the heat up on us slowly and cook us slowly until we get to sleep, then he's got us. Or how about Jonah snored up a storm. Then he's got some serious ones like at the top of the hill where Jesus is saying, I'll prove my love to you at the top of the hill, at the top of Calvary. But one I especially like is his song, The Center of God's Will. I want to be in the center of God's will. And, and the chorus goes like this. I want to be in the center of God's will. I want to rest and abide there until... I hear him say, welcome home. The job is so well done. I want to be in the center of God's will. Therefore, don't be like so many others of whom Paul spoke of in Philippians 2.21. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ's. Seek after God. And the things of God and the justice of the, the, ju the justice of God, and you will find contentment. Not just contentment, but that peace that passes all understanding. Fifty years ago, as a young person, actually a little bit more than 50 years, yes, I'm a senior, but I'm still old school. <laughs> I learned a, a course in our 
teens in Brazil sing it. And I'm sure many teens in many churches today still sing it. Portuguese goes like this. Mas buscai primeiro o reino de Deus e a sua justiça. E todas essas coisas vos serão acrescentadas. Aleluia. Aleluia. It or no, it is this. Seek ye first the kingdom of God yes. and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Alleluia. Alleluia. Matthew 6, 33. Yes. What's it referring to? Raiment. Food. Our needs being provided. So let me ask you one more time. Are you content with heads bowed and eyes closed? We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.